Welcome to the Growth Cat Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba, Managing Partner of Growth Cat. In this episode, we chat with Baram Akrati, the CEO and founder of Lifetime, a health and wellness company. It has operations in 38 major markets across 29 states and Canada. In 2015, TPG and Leonard Green took Lifetime Private at more than $4 billion. Baram is as amazing and inspiring as they come. He arrived in the U.S. at the age of 17, worked to put himself through college, and soon after began his professional career in the fitness industry. Despite repeated failure to raise capital and found his company, Baram persisted and today sits at the helm of the preeminent health and wellness company known as Lifetime. We caught up recently to chat about Baram's journey to providing everyone with a healthy way of life. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, Baram, thank you so much for for joining us today. Um, Absolutely delighted to have this conversation. Um, As mentioned, you know, my wife and I are huge fans of Lifetime. Um, I originally, you know, had my doubts when, when folks started to talk about a new gym coming to Princeton, but once I started to experience it, I was I was just absolutely delighted So, and amazed by what you've built. So maybe what we could do just to, to get the conversation started is if you could share with us a little bit about Lifetime and, and how, how you developed and evolved the idea over the years and, and what you think really uh, makes it different. Thank you so much, RJ. It's my pleasure to do that. If I go back to the very beginning thoughts in my head, was really focused on the customer experience from what was being delivered in the club business and I was involved in. And uh, my observation was the club business was just really not focused on delivering an experience from a customer point of view. The club business and you know 30 years ago when I was you know working in the first chain of clubs I had built and everybody else was everything was designed with the membership type, the contracts, the the way we designed space, the way we sold memberships, more or less it was all designed from the business owner's point of view about what was the best thing for the business owner. And in many ways, I felt that the customer was being treated poorly. The team members, the people who worked in the companies were not being treated the way they should be. But the amazing uh, fact was these customers kept coming back. So I remember I was in my mid-20s, And I thought to myself, there is something really big here. And I had gone to school for electrical engineering. I kind of got into the club business because I had an offer I couldn't refuse. I thought I'll do it for a number of years and then I go on and do what I want to do, which is still design and build, uh, but things more related to electrical engineering. However, this revelation was, oh my God, I can't believe this customer keeps coming back 
when they're being treated this badly, what if we did everything from a customer point of view? So I literally sat down, I drew a club uh, based on how would I want to use the club if I was the customer. I drew the, you know, the layout, I did the lighting, I did the colors, I did the amenities, what we would put in there. And it really all stems back to completely being customer focused, customer centric. And we haven't deviated from that initial thought and every pivot that we have made in the last 25, 26, 27 years has been by really paying attention by the behavior and actions of our customer in the clubs, see what they're doing, listen to what they're saying, and trying to figure out how we can overwhelm them uh, with giving them a product, a service, program that exceeds their expectation rather than be below. I unfortunately cannot claim that we succeed at all times, but I can tell you unequivocally that me and my entire organization is committed to do that at all times. Yeah, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, I've been a member of, of, of a ton of, you know, different gyms, you know, throughout my life, and, and uh, which is why initially, you know, when, when people here in Princeton started talking about the new gym that was open, opening up, I was, you know, low. I had low expectations, and and when I got there, it really was a different, you know, a different offering. And and you you seem to have, you know, really thought through, um, you know, all the needs of a not only an individual but of of, of a family. And um, you know, it, it's you know, as you start going there, and then the facility is is new. It's it's clean. You've got great staff. The the thing you start to think about is like when will this become outdated? Like how, how can lifetime keep it up and, and evolve with the customer? Um, so how, I mean, I guess how frequent are you thinking of new things to implement uh, at the club? Is, is it a, is it a continuous process? Is it kind of, you know, a continuous so we, uh, implementation cycle? Yeah. So we actually need to uh, go back to, a word you have mentioned a couple of times. So I felt that the gym business at the very early on was the business I wasn't interested to be in. Uh, to me, the term gym uh, reminds me of a sweaty you know, space, uh, not necessarily attractive, not necessarily designed to make me feel like I want to be there. It's a place I feel like I have to go to because it's good for me, the exercise, but it's a punishment. So really, I wanted to build a country club. I wanted to build a uh, destination that was entertaining. It just happened to be athletic and healthy entertainment. I had to change your uh, and I hope that we have done that for you. I had to change your 
mental impression of where it is you're going to. Are you going to a place that is more like a resort, more like a country club, more like a, you know when you go out of the you know out of the town to a, you know some destination where it's fun, it's attractive, uh, people are there expecting you to come in to greet you. It smells good, it looks good. You can get your massage, you can get your workout, you can get your healthy food. So, you know, you can go by the beautiful, you know, outdoor resort pools and lay by the pool. I mean, what I was trying to do is to build an athletic country club that invited you to come in and keep you there. Then I wanted to design something that I could uh, have the ability to continue to invest and remodel over the years to make sure I stay relevant to the modality of exercises that you want to do at the time. As you know, health and well-being is a mega trend. For the last 40, 50 years, more and more and more and more are doing uh, more physical activity, more and more and more people are focused on their health, their longevity, etc. However, the way we achieve fitness is a fad whether if it's a step classes for five years and then nobody does a step classes or this type of workout and after five years, nobody does it. They want something different. That's a moving target. So what I really wanted to design something that I could adapt uh, on a regular basis and make sure at all times it stays relevant to you. So yes, Princeton's new uh, opened last year, but you should go to one of our clubs that has, been open 15 years ago or 20 years ago and see how we continue to invest millions and millions. And when I spend over $100 million a year today in maintenance capex to make sure the places physically uh, stay uh, relevant, that the place, we spend at least 20 plus million dollars per year in our lifetime university to train our professionals to give you a four seasons like uh, level of service and quality. We spend over 10 plus million a year in uh, the performers that we have in the clubs to teach the classes and et cetera, to catch them, to bring them in. This is not their payroll. This is just to cast them, train them uh, and retain them. So, I mean, we, we have machines in place invented uh, continually and reinvented to continue to deliver the best places, the best programs, the best performers, and the best people at all times. And so the relentless effort not to fail on these things uh, becomes the reason our brand is continuing to prevail and become more coveted rather than falling apart like some entities that you see after 20, 30 years, the lack of focus and attention in the details of how they manifest their brand is killing those companies. And unfortunately, in many cases, they blame it on something else. They blame it on Amazon or they blame it on some other outside factor. But in fact, they're just not paying attention to their brand, they're not paying attention to their customer, and they're not paying attention to the experience or those impressions, what they are. 
Yeah, you, you, you really do have raving, you know, raving fans. And, um, you know, as, as, as I found out about Lifetime through word of mouth and um, actually before before the opening, you know, two different individuals were uh, telling me how great it was going to be. Um, and, and I was curious, is, is do you have a lot of, um, I mean, natural kind of organic customer acquisition through word of mouth? Um, did you find that your spend on, you know, marked marketing, um, you know, doesn't have to be as, as pronounced as some of the other clubs because you got this kind of natural um, spreading of the, you know, of the word? Um, how do you kind of think about customer acquisition? That's a very important uh, question. So the answer is yes. We spend substantially less on promotional outbound marketing and substantially more on the actual product, which in our case, again, is the place, the people, the programs, uh, and the performers. The you know, message that I have for any other executive or CEO today is that Luckily for me, I have been forced to run every portion of my business over the last 25, 26 years. So for many years, I was running technology. I was For many years, I was running the marketing, sales, etc. And being able to take a look back at my takeaways from those, um, you know, mo- those times, one of the things that's changed over the last 30, 35 years is that uh, we could dominate our message um, very strongly by spending, overspending in marketing and creating an image for our company uh, based on the, the marketing campaign. And if you could buy three radio stations, four newspapers, you know, a couple of direct mail pieces, and you were basically covering everything. Well, as you know, and everybody else does, over the last 30 years, the medium has changed. And the strongest uh, force in your marketing <clears throat> is not what you say, is what your customers say. So I have been on a mission to get to not spend, you know, 30% of what everybody else spends in marketing. I've been on a mission to spend zero. We're not there yet. Um, and we're going to continue our effort. A product, an experience, service, food, if you're in the food industry, it needs to be so amazingly extraordinary that it by itself makes the customer tell the story you want to be told about you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I guess like, uh, you know, a little bit of a segue here um, into how you operate um, and, and you have this one thing I, I notice as well as like you have what I what I will term like a 360 approach with the customer, uh, the existing customer. Once once they kind of start experiencing lifetime, is, is you have the magazine, you have uh, athletic events, um, you have all those amenities that you mentioned. Once you're you know in the facility, and then you've got these great people that that work at lifetime. My my wife you know, asked me to mention uh, Daniela, who's doing an amazing job in, in the Princeton uh, location um, and uh, and keeps my, my wife, you know, going back to the classes. But how do you, you know, getting back to kind of like execution, uh, 
uh, on a business? And, you know, how do you think about, um, you know, how you set up um, an organization? Um, and, and what are some of the key, you know, I guess the keys to success um, to executing on an ambitious plan? So, well, listen, I do my best. You know, I always have considered myself an ordinary level of intelligence. I don't think of myself I'm extraordinary smart or anything like that. So I need to work harder uh, to get ahead. That's kind of been my mentality all along. So I think it's about commitment. It's commitment to what you want to deliver. And then you need to be uncompromising in that commitment. Then you really need to focus on alignment which means basically how many of the people in your organization can execute passionately what that commitment was. So it really, if you think about uh, a rowing you know, com competition, you know, you have eight guys sitting in a uh, rowing boat, and then you got the guy sitting in the front, the coxswain. And what does that guy do? He is basically creating alignment in all the other eight people. They're not, you know, pushing their own weight, but it's just uh, orchestrating so everybody else is uh, moving the oars with their right in alignment, uh, makes up for the weight of that extra person sitting on that boat. So my job is to organize my team and make sure we're all marching down the same path and we're focused on the same things. And customer service uh, and delivering things from the customer point of view and, and then in a, in a service business, a lot of that is 100% dependent on the team member point of view. So at Lifetime, we're today about 36,000 rough and tough employees. We're gaining about 4,000 employees a year. And frankly, it's the people like Daniela so that, that makes your experience become what it is. And she's amazing, but she's not the only one. There are thousands of incredible, incredible, passionate people who show up and they passionately try to get their customer to have the best experience possible in whatever it is they're doing. Our performers who are teaching classes, personal training, uh, group things, they don't think of themselves as an employee. They think of themselves as a performer. They're on the stage. They're trying to create the best entertaining and productive experience for the customer. It just takes work. It takes commitment from a CEO. It takes commitment from executive team to lead the way, not push their people, to be willing to do what they're asking their employees to do themselves. I can't ask my employees to put in more hours than I do. If I want them to work passionately, I got to work passionately. And that's really the kind of philosophies that drives lifetime. Uh, and honestly, it's not because we are more smart or more clever. We're just 
we're just, I think, more committed and more relentless. And your your uh, personal story is is uh, you know amazing. You you came to the states at the age of seventeen. You you know worked um, in order to pay for for college. Um, you know be, you began your um, I guess per, you know your working life uh, early on. Um, you know would 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 love to you know I guess just hear a little bit about how you you know how you got your start and and um, you know, maybe even, you know, sharing some of the, you know, some of the challenges you had to go through, because I know that's always been helpful for uh, some folks in, in our audience um, who are kind of going through that, that journey uh, now. So, you know, um, from, from what I've, you know, read about you, it, you've had, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been amazing what you've been able to accomplish. Well, I appreciate that. Look, first of all, I'm blessed to have had the opportunity to make it here when I did in 1978. Uh, shortly after I was here, there was a revolution in our country, in Iran. Um, things kind of got displaced. I really didn't want my dad to work, uh, you know, and yet another job to send me an extra couple, two, three hundred bucks a month. Uh, so I decided to go get a job and work within a couple of weeks after I was here to try to you know, make it on my own. Uh, probably the best uh, scenario that would, could happen. Uh, I, I focused on just doing what I needed to do to grow myself, to make enough money to pay for school, uh, pay for my place to live. Uh, but I also want to make a point to America and this during your podcast that I think is really important. You know, unfortunately, I hear a lot of people trying to divide us in this country today about, you know, screaming a blame game on this or that. The reality is there is no place on earth that has more equal rights than this country. You know, we've had a, uh, you know, Afro-American president for eight years. We have uh, women who are CEOs of some of the biggest companies. Uh, you know, you you have uh, you know gay people, heterosexuals, metrosexuals. You have you know you have in the in the in the Congress. This is beautiful. This is fantastic that we live in a country that we entirely have truly equal rights. It just doesn't mean there aren't a few ignorant people who still demonstrate some aspects of being prejudiced, but that you're going to have everywhere. The fact is we are free in this country to be free if we want to see it that way. And it's true. So I was 17. I was from Iran. Shortly after I was here, there was you know, the revolution in Iran, they took some hostages. So there was some hardship where people were, uh, you know, looking at you different, like you were part of the morons who took the hostages in Iran. But, you know, I never let it bother me. I understood. Uh, it's just an emotional aspect. And I always have seen myself as a citizen of the world, uh, number one, I've particularly see myself a complete American citizen, nothing short of that. And I feel <clears throat> privileged to be here 
and have had the opportunity to work and make it happen. Um, you know, if you if you put your back into it in this country, you can do anything. And I can't say that's the case for many, many other parts of the world. So if my if I have any advice for anybody is think about the positive, think about how open the doors are, how amazing the opportunities are, and just and just one foot in front of the other, march ahead. Uh, that's uh, that's fantastic. That's an excellent reminder of uh, of the opportunity that uh, that we all have um, is to you know to, to work hard. We we have kind of the right environment set up for us, and uh, we just have to well, think about think about this. Just a hundred years ago, there was real lack of equality for the Afro Americans versus the whites. Just fifty years ago. We had a you know mindset that the women couldn't run Boston Marathon. We've come a long ways, and we are still moving in that direction very rapidly. The future is really bright, and I think the opportunities are just bigger and bigger and bigger. And but the equality is amazing, and so I think people have to start thinking about what they can do instead of. Why can't they, why they can't do something? How can I do it instead of why I can't? That's the kind of message that you have to take into your heart and soul, and you just never deviate from it. How can I get it done? Mm-hmm. And 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 have you um, um, what what's been if I can if I can ask uh, you know what what's been the toughest part I guess along your journey and and. Uh, uh, you know, how have you been able to kind of overcome that that uh, that that toughest challenge that you faced along the way? Look, I think that uh, there was a period of time I was trying to raise money to launch Lifetime, and unfortunately, whether one reason or another, you know, every time I got close to getting close to the goal line, some for some reason things didn't want to come together. Uh, it took about, you know, three, four years of just complete failure. You know, I failed and I failed and I failed and I failed and I met with these investors that were close to invest and then they just, check, you know, checked out and th- those investors. And, um, you know, I I really felt like for, for a period of time, I felt like I was witched. I was like, it, it just, I was, things were working against me. But then I realized I was doing something wrong. It was my fault I wasn't being witched. I wanted to start my business really big. You know, I wanted to start it as big as I started, you know, as, as the last one I left. And, and, and impatiently, I wanted to be bigger uh, within a year or two than the business I had left behind. And the the... The learning, the education that I got, the wisdom I learned by just School of Hard Knocks was, you know, I need to start small. I just need to start at a level that I can get started, whatever, however small that is, and then just hustle and grow the business. So I now I basically always tell people, think big, start small, and move really fast. And so that's how I was able to overcome uh, 
you know, this sort of a failure of what I wanted to launch uh, that wasn't, wasn't, you know, taking off. You know, if it was an airplane, it was, I guess, too heavy uh, to get airborne uh, the way I had it planned out. So I had to lighten it up uh, to get airborne and then, you know, and then make adjustments. Does that make sense? That that uh, that makes complete sense. And, and interestingly, you were, you know, during that that uh, just to put things in perspective, if, uh, you know, over a span of a, a big span of time, you you went from having these challenges with investors to now being backed by a couple of the most prestigious private equity firms uh, out there. Um, and uh, you know, you, you know, we've we've had TPG on, um, you know, we know the folks over there, you know, very, you know, talented people. Um, you know, what, what made you decide to, to take the company private back in 2015? Yeah, let me, let me tell you a little funny story that I think your audience would appreciate. So uh, about 27, uh, eight years ago, uh, <clears throat> I was talking to someone and they said, you know, what your problem is, is that you're very, very successful in the past, but impatient person. You need to learn patience uh, in order to you know, get success again. And the, I started formulating a question in my head, and I started laughing. So why are you laughing? I said, well, I was just thinking, how can I learn this patience a little faster? Uh, which, again, you know, it, it become very impatient. So... Um, Look, it's taken uh, from 1990, 89, 90, 91, when I've been working on this, uh, you know, in this journey, it's taken almost now 30 years. And uh, if anything I have learned is literally just putting my back into it and allowing it enough time so, you know, the dividends come. And sometimes the dividend doesn't come when you want it, it will come, you know, six months later or a year later, or maybe five years after you were expecting it. You just got to keep working. Uh, today, we're blessed. You know, TPG, Leonard Green, uh, LNK, Texas Teachers, and many, many other investors are either in or they would like to be part of uh, the lifetime story and what we can do. Uh, we believe that we're going to be at 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe even 100,000 employees uh, in the next, you know, uh, 10 years or so, uh, making impact on not 2 million, but maybe 5 or 10, 20 million uh, people in the United States and maybe other countries in living a healthier, happier life. Uh, so it it's really the... Um, culmination of putting the right foot forward, always doing the right thing, and keep doing it has sort of made it um, available for us. But I have to say, could not ask for better partners in Leonard Green, in TPG, uh, LNK, or Texas Teachers. They have given me the utmost level of autonomy, respect, support uh, to, to help this company reinvent new things and uh, kind of create 
all the things we're doing today with lifetime living, lifetime work, lifetime villages, uh, the athletic resorts, you know, all the different things we're working, it absolutely feels like we are at the beginning of a journey, not at the middle or end of a journey, which is kind of exciting. Well, Baram, you know, I really appreciate uh, the time you've spent with us here. I know you're a very busy person, so uh, thank you for carving out this this time. And um, if you ever do find yourself in, in Princeton, uh, I hope you'll let me know. We, I, I know uh, some folks here that would uh, love to say hello, and we'd love to to host you, um, you know, for a dinner or, or even a brief gathering. I know you're, you've got a busy schedule. So uh, thank you so much again. Thank you very much, RJ. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person when I'm out there. Thanks again.